This podcast is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook is strengthening security during elections by increasing political ad transparency, blocking fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm, and reducing the spread of false news. Learn more at facebook.com slash action plan. From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Will there be consequences for the Saudi Arabian government for the apparent murder of dissident journalist Jamal Khashoggi inside their consulate in Istanbul on October 2nd? Republicans like Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina and Marco Rubio of Florida, and Democrats such as Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut and Jack Reed of Rhode Island, want the Trump administration to punish Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman who many believe ordered Khashoggi's murder. I've got CQ's foreign policy reporter, Rachel Oswald, here to talk about it. She's been talking to representatives and senators. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, Sean. So, Rachel, let's recap for our listeners. What do we know about what happened to Jamal Khashoggi? Yesterday, President Donald Trump told reporters it looked likely that uh, Jamal Khashoggi had been murdered in the uh, consulate in Turkey uh, some two weeks ago. What we do not know is if that murder was premeditated or if it was an accident following a torture gone wrong. We have reports of U.S. intelligence intercepts of Saudi Arabian officials discussing a plan to seize Khashoggi at the consulate and bring him back um, to Saudi Arabia. We don't know exactly what happened in the consulate, though Turkish intelligence has leaked to Turkish media outlets details from audio recordings, which we have not been able to listen to ourselves, that go into great detail, in very gruesome detail, of uh, Khashoggi's reported torture, cutting off his fingers, his, his killing, and then his dismemberment. Why did the Saudis have it in for this guy? He uh, had become one of those, the most prominent voices outside of the country criticizing the policies of the crown prince Mohammed bin Salman. Khashoggi, for a long time, was uh, considered close to the royal court, even serving as a spokesman uh, for a number of years. He was a well-known voice in Washington. Many uh, Western journalists would talk to him to find out what exactly was going on in the kingdom. He's a supporter of the monarchy, was a supporter of the monarchy. He's, he's not some radical figure, but he had recently grown disillusioned with the reforms that Mohammed bin Salman, who's commonly referred to as MBS, had been taking, seeing them as incredibly authoritarian and destabilizing. Um, and also he was upset with the prince's intolerance for criticism. Now, the king of Saudi Arabia is... Um above MBS, Mm -hmm. but MBS is considered the uh, actual ruler of the country. That's right. The king is very advanced age. He very rarely speaks in public. Reports are that he's he's just very feeble. And um, his 33-year-old son is really seen as the de facto ruler, consolidating power over many ministries, the security services, the defense ministry, to a degree never seen before in the kingdom. And his... Uh, rise to power is fairly recent, and it was initially embraced because he was seen as a reformer. He opened, he allowed women to drive 
for forever famously women could not drive in Saudi Arabia they couldn't go to sporting events he's he's seen as a liberalizer in some ways but also he has cracked down on dissent and that was Khashoggi's problem yes I think the whole the whole image that MSB and his staff um, MBS and his staff really tried to perpetuate it was just a whitewash he was dispensing reforms, allowing women to drive, um, allowing the establishment of movie theaters that both genders could go to. Those were like things he was bequeathing upon them, not as civil rights they were entitled to. The way he consolidated control, vaulting over another royal who was ahead of him in line. So he did imprison a number of his extended family members to try to uh, get them to turn over uh, portions of their fortunes to the government. At the same time, he has been documented to spend hundreds of millions of dollars purchasing properties in Europe, a painting by um, da Vinci, that kind of a thing. Right. He, he framed all that as a crackdown on corruption. So, so why was Khashoggi going to the Saudi consulate in Istanbul? Uh, he was going there because he needed a document from the Saudi Arabian government confirming his divorce from his Saudi wife so he could remarry his fiancée in Turkey. And, and the Turks have, have this audio tape, which indicates that they have bugged this consulate. That's right, yeah, which is not uncommon practice. Although we haven't heard the audio tapes that we're just taking their word for it. We are and and we and and reporting on that has to be careful because you know the Turkish government itself has been involved in a lot of um, delicate um, disagreements with the United States. They have their own political reasons for doing this. They are sharing the transcripts, or we think they're sharing details of the audio with favored Turkish news outlets that have close ties to the Erdogan government. So the reporting on this matter is, is difficult. It is difficult to independently verify. But even with all of that, that there's an exceedingly high degree of circumstantial evidence tying members of uh, the crown prince's inner circle to the consulate hours before Khashoggi went in there and then after he disappeared, immediately leaving the country. Okay. And while this is all very grisly and awful, it seems like the anger we're seeing on Capitol Hill from members like Lindsey Graham. This all originated from the crown prince. I'm convinced of that. The president needs to be measured. I get that. But the world is watching us. They're not going to join Iran in Saudi Arabia. There are plenty of people in Saudi Arabia that we could have a good relationship with. But if the crown prince stays in power, it will be almost impossible to reconstruct this relationship at a time both of us need it. It's been pent up in a, in a way that there's more to it than this Ben Khashoggi's disappearance. Do you see it that way? I do. There has been um, for some years greater grievances on Capitol Hill with Saudi Arabia, particularly under the Trump administration. Although I will I will note that the only time lawmakers overturned a veto of President Barack Obama, they did it um, in 2016 to maintain legislation that they passed allowing civil lawsuits against Saudi Arabia over um, allegations of involvement in the 9-11 attacks. Saudi Arabia, um, in the buildup to that bill, spent um, millions of dollars lobbying against it. There was a very intense campaign, and lawmakers, by near unanimous votes, uh, voted to overturn the Right, I think uh, there may have been the one veto. vote against it in the Senate. Right. So, so that was that was that was already in 2016, and since then, the Yemeni civil war has worsened. Starvation is occurring. It appears that it is part of a plan 
to to get the populace to capitulate. Saudi Arabia does have the ability to allow humanitarian assistance into the country that would save people from starvation. Uh, you have um, repeated airstrikes on hospitals, on weddings, uh, most famously on a school bus full of dozens of children who were killed. You also have, as I mentioned earlier, the um, uh, imprisonment without due process of many members of the royal family. You also have a really weird incidence last year of the, um, uh, no other word for it, but the kidnapping of uh, the Lebanese prime minister, a, a sovereign state, um, to try to get him to change his policies toward Hezbollah. Uh, I, and I could go on. I mean, right. there, there's just been a cascade of offenses that suggest Saudi Arabia does not, under the crown prince, does not feel like it needs to follow international norms. All right. We'll get back to the Saud's misdeeds in a moment. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, and all your favorite podcast apps. We're going to take a break now for a word from our sponsor. Facebook's growing team of experts are dedicated to strengthening security during election season and beyond. One way they're doing this is by using artificial intelligence to proactively block fake accounts before they have a chance to do harm. Learn more about their ongoing efforts at facebook.com actionplan And we're back now with Rachel Oswald, CQ's foreign policy reporter, talking about the apparent murder of Jamal Khashoggi and Congress's reaction. So we were talking about uh, the Saud's misdeeds. And indeed, you mentioned a bunch of them, the Yemeni civil war where they're, they're going after Iranian-linked groups, um, the kidnapping of Lebanon's prime minister. And as far as the United States goes, we had the bombing of the Kobar Towers in 1996, which were housing U.S. forces in Saudi Arabia. We know that 15 of the 19 hijackers on September 11, 2001 were Saudi Arabian. We know that the U.S. government for many years classified a section of the 9-11 report that dealt with possible Saudi government complicity in the attacks. And you've now got that brutal Saudi-led war in Yemen. So Khashoggi, he's one man. Why the outrage? Well, I think the New York Times, actually, um, Max Fisher had an interesting piece about this. Basically, there had been this um, drumbeat of really negative, horrible stories out of Yemen. But but it was hard to grasp onto for many people that the numbers were so vast. But here is the murder of one person, a journalist, um, a category of individual who is supposed to be kept protected. And it somehow is able to pierce the public consciousness in a way that the Yemeni deaths have not been able to because it's something people can relate to. This is a man who was in love. He was going to get married. If you are not coming with a lot of understanding of the geopolitics in the Yemeni civil war, particularly when you have um, members of our government saying that we should be in Yemen because the Iranian-backed Houthis are a threat to the region. But, but Khashoggi, his, his apparent death was able to encapsulate a lot of, of other grievances, and they're all coming to bear right now. It's like the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay, so we know a lot of members of Congress are upset about this, but President Trump doesn't seem to be. What has his reaction been, Rachel? We've heard a lot of back and forth from the president, that he's concerned about the reports. You know, he said yesterday he now believes he is dead. Do you believe um, Jamal Khashoggi is dead? Uh, it certainly looks that way to me. It's very sad. It certainly looks that way. That I Secretary Pompeo today in your meeting? No, just that we're waiting for some investigations 
and waiting for the results. And we'll have them very soon. And I think uh, we'll be making a statement, a very strong statement. But he has also repeatedly said that it's not in the United States' interest to end weapon sales to Saudi Arabia. They buy tens of billions of dollars of weapons from us. They are also uh, investors in our economy. They are a major world oil producer and that it doesn't make sense to punish them over over one man. And also they're aides to us in the war on terrorism, right? How, how useful are they in that regard? Useful, useful. Historically, Saudi intelligence has been helpful in in helping to uncover terrorist plots coming out of the Middle East. At the same time, it's been very frustrating to lawmakers that the kingdom continues to fund a version of, of Islam, Wahhabism, and to and to spread it around the world in, in Muslim in developing Muslim countries that is very intolerant. And there's a lot of correlation to the development of local extremist groups where there are Salafi-funded schools by the Saudi government. It, it's been said that the Saudi Arabians, at least Syrup surreptitiously have allied with the Israeli government because they have a mutual enemy in Iran. Is their shift toward Israel our best ally in the region, an important part of this too? The reports of Israel-Saudi security cooperation is very transactional. It's in their self-interest. But is this trans transactional cooperation on specific issues going to lead to a broader bipartisan relationship? I don't see it happening. Notably, uh, senior White House advisor and son-in-law Jared Kushner has been developing this Middle East peace plan that, that would, to a degree not before, really kind of side with the Israelis and try to compel the Palestinians to accept a peace plan that favors Israel. Jared Kushner had really wanted to obtain the Saudi Arabian government's approval for this peace plan, according to reports, so they could then roll it out and publish it. The king of Saudi Arabia notably said no. Saudi Arabia was not willing to kind of break with decades of its policy in, in decisively um, favoring Israel. Had they done that, you could, I think I would have been willing to say, yeah, they are willing to like kind of embark on a new relationship. But I don't see that happening at this point. Okay, let's turn to how lawmakers are reacting to the Khashoggi case. Here's Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut on National Public Radio. I would argue uh, that we should take the step uh, of removing the United States from a military coalition with the Saudis uh, that is currently bombing the country of Yemen, uh, resulting in thousands of civilian deaths inside that country. And, and here's Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island speaking recently at a breakfast with reporters caught on audio tape. So, Rachel, what do you make of lawmakers' response? Is, uh, has it surprised you at all how vehement it's been? The Democrats have been um, very frustrated with Saudi Arabia for some time. What's been interesting to me has been the breadth of Republican outrage. They are saying things as forcefully, if not more forcefully, than the Democrats. Um, this is interesting because previously there had been two votes in the Senate on, dif on differing but related issues to cut off uh, military support and weapons sales to Saudi Arabia. And in those two votes, Democrats mostly voted to cut off support and Republicans mostly voted to maintain the support and thus vote both of those votes failed. But when you've got um, uh, Lindsey Graham 
formerly Saudi Arabia's um, biggest supporter, now saying he does not want to go to the kingdom anymore so long as MBS is in power and he wants him, you know, to be removed from power. When you've got uh, Marco Rubio of Florida saying that it is worth tearing up the greater bilateral relationship over human rights. I don't know. I don't care how much money it is. There isn't enough money in the world to purchase back our credibility on human rights and, uh, and the, the way nations should conduct themselves. And we lose our credibility and our moral standing to criticize Putin for murdering people, Assad for murdering people, Maduro in Venezuela for murdering people. We can't say anything about that if we allow Saudi Arabia to do it and all we do is a diplomatic slap on the wrist. And also younger and rising figures in the party, Todd Young, of Indiana and Cory Gardner of Colorado. You know, these 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 are these are these are young rising stars of the party who who are kind of deciding early on in their Senate careers that they are unhappy with Saudi Arabia and they're doing it in language that mirrors Democrats. So so it is very interesting. I've never seen that before. Yeah, I mean foreign policy is off has always been a balance between idealism, support for human rights around the world and real politique, pragmatism, and supporting some unsavory regimes because they're useful to the United States. And Donald Trump has really, I think, veered towards the real politique side and has pretty much abandoned uh, our role, the United States' role as, uh, as a country that spreads uh, sort of the democratic message, human rights, idealism. Um, he's, he's even said, you know, we're not so innocent ourselves. Uh, so do you think Republicans might be reacting against that? I think they could be. I, I really think uh, lawmakers, Republican lawmakers, have been genuine in their outrage. But I also think it's coming after after many after years of frustration with specifically Yemen, uh, Saudi Arabia's conduct in the Yemeni civil war. Notably, lawmakers approved language in the most recent defense policy law uh, that was passed uh, this summer that would require the State Department to uh, end military logistical support of the war in Yemen if they are unable to certify that Saudi Arabia is taking adequate measures to limit civilian casualties there. Secretary of State Pompeo did offer that certification, and a number of lawmakers said it did not pass the smell test. It was not credible. Okay, so can Congress do anything at this point? I mean, are they considering a sanctions bill or legislation to stop the arms sales or Anything substantive? There are a couple of options available. At the moment, senators have triggered a provision in a 2016 human rights law that gives the administration four months to um, look into the death of Jamal Khashoggi and then determine uh, whether and who to sanction over that death. The law gives the president discretion, though, in that. So if the president decides that he doesn't want to sanction anybody or he wants to sanction people, but maybe he doesn't go to the upper levels of the um, uh, Saudi hierarchy, lawmakers could take up and pass a sanctions bill of their own imposing sanctions. They have a record of doing that recently, last summer when they imposed against the wishes of President Donald Trump, mandatory sanctions on Russia. So that could happen. That's one option. Another option is we could see a resolution, a joint resolution introduced to block a proposed uh, weapon sale to Saudi Arabia. Right now, there are no pending weapon sales that Congress can consider. But if one were to be offered, particularly in the next couple of months, I do think there are the votes in the Senate to block it. 
And then, of course, we're heading into midterms, and um, it looks like Democrats are favored to pick up a significant number of seats in the House. So the climate there also becomes more unfavorable to uh, Saudi Arabia. And then uh, a similar vote they could take is under the War Powers Resolution. Um, There's already a bipartisan resolution in the House that would require the president to withdraw and U.S. military logistical support for the Saudi coalition in Yemen. So those are three options. All right. We're going to keep an eye on it. Thank you, Rachel, for joining us. Glad to be here. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.